0: Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the Back of the Range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 112. Hope you all are having a good week. Hope everyone is feeling okay. I was sick for the first week of 2020. Not fun. In fact, when I recorded this episode, man, the voice was not sounding good. So if you're able to pick up on it, yep, I was a little jacked up on NyQuil or might have been antifreeze. I don't really know, but the episode turned out great and I am back to 100%. Glad I am because, yes, I am probably, as you're listening to this, on a plane down to Mexico, going to Mayakoba, going to the Latin America Amateur Championship. Cannot wait to get down there to see the golf course going to be following three Florida guys playing in the lack. So the mojo is getting activated right away for Geronimo Steve playing for Puerto Rico, Ernesto Marin playing for Nicaragua and Fred Biondi from Brazil. He plays for university of Florida. So good luck to those guys. I will see you this weekend. Also going to catch up with Dottie Pepper who will be covering the event. Always fun to see her met her for the first time with the Walker cup. She is a fan fan of The Back of the Range and follows on Instagram. Seriously, look it up. She does. You should too. It's easy. Go to The Back of the Range podcast. That's the Instagram handle. You know we're on Facebook. You know we're on Twitter. And as I've said in every single intro to every single episode, the website, the website, the website, thebackoftherange.com. You can buy hats. You can buy towels. And most importantly, every single episode is available there for you to listen to and get caught up. So, as I promised before heading down to mycoba I wanted to make sure that I would get this week's episode out for your consumption and listening pleasure. Since I'll be hanging with golf media members this week, I thought this would be a good time to introduce you to another member of the golf media, if you did not know him already, Brentley Romine from Golf Channel. Brentley started his career at Golf Week, but is now covering the amateur and college side of the game for Golf Channel. I got to meet him in person at the Walker Cup last year at Royal Liverpool in fact, this is the first time that we spoke since the Walker Cup. And, you know, despite the fact that he's just up the road in Orlando, we've actually never met in the States. So got to change that pretty soon. Maybe get around a golf in with this guy. Maybe we can set up a unique wager of some sort. So so if you have some ideas, you know, that'll be mainly beneficial to me, not so much to Brentley. You know, shoot me an email, text me, let me know what you think. Maybe we can get that done. This was a fun episode, little different format than usual, because we were just kind of geeking out over college and amateur golf, talking about some NCAAs, talking about his experiences, players that he's covered. You know, the game is getting younger and younger. Brentley has seen this firsthand. You know, he's been there in the early days of Maverick McNeely and Matthew Wolf and Victor Hovland and a lot of the guys at Oklahoma State, you know, Austin Eckrode, Stanford. I mean, he has been around. He spent time at Many of the NCAA championships, U.S. juniors, he's covered a major, he's been to Ryder Cups. This is definitely a guy that has seen a bit in his time covering the game. Oh, and he's also a podcaster. Yes, he has crossed over to the dark side. Brentley teams up with Steve Burkowski, former guest here at the back of the range. They talk about the college game on their Golf Channel podcast, College Golf Talk. It's in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find. But I will put a link in the show notes of this episode, so make sure you go support their podcast. They really get into some in-depth stuff, some interesting nuggets of information. For example, we spoke a little bit about LPGA Q-Series and what some of these top collegiate players are getting as far as endorsement deals right out of school. And I think you'll be surprised when you hear this part of the episode. So i got to get more stuff packed for this trip, so let's get this episode started. Brentley, welcome, sir, to the back of the range. How are you? It's
1: finally good to be on. This, this has been a, a bucket list item.
0: Well, I'm glad you're on the podcast. I mean, we first, this is the first time we've spoken in the United States.
1: Yes, yes. Walker Cup. It's uh, good spending a week with you there. or I guess not a week. It's a two-day event, so a few days. and uh, Yeah, it's good to finally... Uh, you know, be talking stateside.
0: Yeah well you know that was the time when Hurricane Dorian hit Florida and I actually got out of the country early because I knew it was coming and then you were kind of hurt by that so I was there several days before you but um, looking back at the Walker Cup I you know let's let's just start there. So is that the first Walker Cup you've covered? What's been your experience with the Walker Cup?
1: So it was my second Walker Cup. The first one was the United States route in 2017 at LACC so not a not a long history of of covering Walker Cups for me but hey I'm I'm 2-0 so that's Uh, good right
0: yeah I mean I'm well I'm 1-0 so I mean it's I'm, I'm getting there yeah I I was I was very impressed with with the event uh obviously my first time covering an event of that scale so I was kind of looking at it with, you know, kid in a candy store kind of thing and just so I had a probably different look and we're going to get into college golf, we're going to get into amateur golf. There's just so much we have to get to, but let's kind of start this episode off a little bit um you know, make it a parallel to all the previous episodes. Get get the listeners a little bit of an idea how you get into the how you got into the game of golf and then how you got into golf journalism. So, explain your genesis with the game of golf.
1: Okay, so I didn't grow up you know, hitting balls on the range when I was like eight years old and okay. you know, my parents weren't dropping me off at 7 a.m. and pick me, picking me up at 6. I, I didn't really even play until probably about high school. You know, I, I played Tiger Woods on PlayStation Okay, uh, growing up, but that was probably the only connection I really even had to golf until I got my internship at Golf Week when I was in college. Um but by then I had already decided that I wanted to do some sort of sports journalism. So that wasn't really, you know, it's not like I kind of fell into that, but as far as golf, uh, I I worked part-time at the, uh, Orlando Sentinel for four years while I was in college. And one of my bosses there went over to be the managing editor of Golfweek.com, So that's where the internship came from. And from there, you know, it's just one of those things you graduate, you, you get hired. I was lucky enough to, to get my first job at golf week right out of college spent seven and a half years there and last december ended up at golf channel so it's been you know, i've been very lucky um you know it's it's hard a lot of people ask me for advice you know a lot of young journalists and you know people aspiring to do you know some of what i do or you know something similar sure. and sometimes i i say like i don't really have a lot of great advice because i kind of got lucky sure you know it's it's just one of those things you you just have to you know the chips have to fall you know just right and you know you you get lucky and you get um the chance to do something that you love and so yeah just just very fortunate and uh wouldn't wouldn't trade what i do for you know for anything
0: now you you wrote for golf week for i guess about six years can you compare maybe you know, your internship days, writing articles, I'm not even sure what type of articles you're writing or how you were covering the game at that point, but can you maybe compare it or like with an anecdote of like how things have changed in golf media, whether it's including the players or social media, your access, like where did you start and like what's the piece you're working on right now?
1: Yeah, so when I first started, I I always compare golf week a little bit to like the, you know, the, the New York Yankees and, and that there were so many great writers when I started, whether it was Jeff Babineau or Jim McCabe or Sean Martin, uh, Beth Ann Nichols, uh, uh, DJ Pajowski, who is with no laying up now. He right. was there when, when I was interning. So th- there were, there were a lot of like great minds, a lot of great writers, uh, a lot of good people. And, um, you know, so I, I kind of got, you know, thrown into, a you know, a room where people were way better than I was. So it was good getting to learn. And probably the thing that's changed the most has been the impact of social media. You know, Twitter was, was, was around back then, but Instagram was, you know, was, was just getting popular. Like I I don't even know if I had an Instagram account when I, I may have just gotten one when I started there in 2012, but now like back then when, Ron Balicki used to cover college golf back in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Uh, People would go to him to announce like if they're turning pro, like when Ricky Fowler turned pro, he called Ron Balicki and that's how the news got out. Now players announce everything on Twitter and Instagram and we're almost kind of blogging off of what these players are saying. You know, there's certain times where you'll have a good enough relationship with a player to where, you'll learn something before and you can kind of time it like when uh when maverick McNeely turned pro he had written something for stanford's website and but he had called me and ryan labner i was still at golf week at the time but he had called both of us and we were able to interview him and get something ready so as soon as stanford pressed the button on his announcement we were, we were able to do the same right so that's probably the biggest thing that's changed uh there's obviously no secret either that there's you know fewer and fewer people doing this um you know it's kind of the sad part of the business is that back in 2012 you know we hadn't i mean golf world was still around and you had all these you know all these great riders and and now more than half of them aren't, aren't really in the business anymore so that's kind of the sad state of it but I mean, golf is as a sport. I don't. I don't think it's ever been better. Um, it's certainly amateur and college golf have never been bigger. Um, so it's it's exciting to, you know, to be entering another year covering the sport and uh, interested to see where where all this goes. You know, five, ten years down the line.
0: I mean, technology, just like you said, it's just opening the door for tons of different things i mean we're talking about amateur golf college golf right now in january and you know the year has not even gotten started yet we have so many other things that are coming to before really the amateur scene gets going in the, you know late spring early summer then we lead into the u.s amateur then all those great things
1: well we got 26 days till the jones Cup, right
0: well that's you know that's 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 true uh we'll i will give you that though so it is that is a I mean, there's a PGA Tour exemption uh, up for grabs with that one. So, yeah, you can look at that. How do you balance your time? Uh, You know, like I was actually on now. There's this social media channel called Facebook. I'm not sure if you remember it, but uh, you're much younger than I am. But there is was some, that
1: before or after MySpace? It's I can't
0: af- remember. after MySpace. <laughs> after MySpace, but MySpace was after AOL chat rooms, which I still remember. Yeah, so,
1: AOL instant messaging and, and, your, and your away message
0: and Compuserve. And man, we're really going down a, a rabbit hole here. But so here's what I'm actually getting at. I'm looking at Facebook, and they did this little. Uh, ticker of the pga tour winners you know leading up to the tournament of champions and you got paul casey graham mcdowell jb holmes they all won then you got cory connors who monday qualifies into the valero some guy named adam long beats phil in the desert some kang i mean the names go on and on then you just get to more cow and wolf but if the casual golf fan can barely keep track of some of these guys that are winning pga tour events how how do we cover how do you balance your time to get the the amateur and college stories out there when there's such a limited spot or limited place for it in the, yeah. I mean, how do you do that?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's a good question. You know, we're, we at golf channel have, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have some, some people who cover the program, you know, the the pro game really well, whether it's the people on the TV side or the writers like Rex Hoggard and Ryan Labner, Will Gray. Um, but so I, you know, the, the onus is not all on me to, to write stories about the PGA Tour. So, sure. so I'm able, you know, most of my duties are still contributing to our coverage of that. But I, I am able to focus at least some of my time on paying attention to college and amateur golf. And a lot of it comes down to, you know, this, this is a job, but it's something that I love and I love doing. And even when I'm not working, I'm still checking leaderboards to first stage at Q school or checking the leaderboard for the Hana amateur or, you know, just stuff like that. Like looking at the world amateur golf ranking on, on Wednesday morning. So right. stuff like that. It's It's a job, but it's not really a job. So when you ask how I balance my time, I don't really look at it like that.
0: You're always on.
1: Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm always plugged in. I mean, I I do get away. I I have a fiance and friends, and you know I'm not sitting in front of a you know a live scoring hit and refresh for 24 hours a day. But um, yeah, so it's just one of those things. So what's the what's the saying they say? If you, you'll you'll never work a day in your life if you love what you do.
0: If you can teach a man to fish, you'll never work a day in your life. I think that's what there it is. You, yeah. I think it's something like that. I don't, I don't fish though. So. Oh well, then yeah. I, I don't I don't know how that thing goes. But no, I I, I, I eat fish. Okay, that well, counts, right? This episode has really gone into a different direction, but it's okay. We're gonna we're gonna be fine. Um, all right, so let me let me ask you this one. I have done over a hundred episodes here at the back of the range, and believe it or not, I think the most challenging or intimidating subject I had was Bob Tosky. And you're like, okay, why are you so intimidated by, like, a 90-year-old man? But his, his knowledge of the game and, you know, his expectations of me to, you know, know what the hell I was asking him about, it was a little bit intimidating. So, you know, I wanted to come across as marginally educated. I'm just curious, have you found yourself in a situation where you're in the middle of an interview and that feeling of uneasiness or uh, nervousness, or that thought to yourself, "Dear God, I, I hope that they think that I know what I'm talking about." <laughs> so there's there's definitely
1: been some intimidating moments. Uh, some of those were were interviewing Bubba Watson. He's he's kind of an uh, intimidating guy because you never know how he's going to respond. Yeah, but for the most part. <sighs> there's probably all right i I got two stories for you so my very first tournament was covering the tavistock collegiate in in 2011 and if people followed college golf back then they know that that was the year that jordan speith basically ran away with it and texas won and so i was an intern actually that was even before my internship but no that would have been during my during my internship but so anyways i was an intern i was you know, 21 years old and I don't know anything about college golf. And I know that some kid named Jordan Spieth is apparently pretty good. He played with Patrick Rogers in the Walker cup, whatever that was. Um, and they played pretty well. So this is me trying to learn on the fly, all that stuff. Sure. And I remember just not really knowing what to do and having to go talk to John fields and
0: (laughs) head head, head head coach at the University of Texas
1: yeah so so knowing John now it's kind of funny that that I would be intimidated by him but back then to me you know I, I didn't know if a college golf coach was anything different than a head football coach I didn't know if they were intense or anything like that so I was just like super scared and I just remember him being he couldn't have been nicer and he he really kind of made me feel at ease and You know, kind of asked me my name, you know, kind of some background and, you know, just just remember him being really nice. So, so that was kind of my first, you know, kind of scary moment that was made, made better by, by the kindness of, of somebody else. And then probably about maybe two or three years later, I got to cover my first PGA tour event with golf week. And it was the AT&T national and NTC at congressional. Right. And so so golf used to do this instruction series called for your game i think i think they still do it but basically you know you you know you find out how to hit wedges or hit irons or hit a cut or whatever so i had to do some pre you know some pre questions you know pre-questioning for patrick reed so i had to go and kind of ask him about all this stuff about his wedge game and how he practices that way they could plan plan the photo shoot. So they weren't like wasting his time because I guess you only get, you know, they may have gotten an an hour with him. So if you're trying to figure out what you're going to shoot there, you're basically wasting your time. So I was kind of tasked with going up and asking, Hey, Patrick, um, you know, what are three to four drills you do to improve your wedge game and kind of have him explain it. And then I send that off to the photographer and who, who's ever writing it. And I remember the first round Patrick ended up shooting like 77 or something like that. It like, and I remember someone I worked with texting me and, and saying, good luck talking to him. There's right, no way he's right. going to talk to you. And so I'm like, Oh, like crap. Like this is all, this is great. Like I'm going to go up to him. He's going to tell me to go, like, you know, eat sand, and and I'm going to be embarrassed. So he goes into the scoring trailer, and Justine's his caddy still at the time. And I walk up to her, and I kind of explain. I, and I, I kind of had an advantage back then because I was still, like, 24 years old, so I was just kind of like this, like, scared like, little kid like right trying to, take to cover it they'll
0: take pity yeah on you. Yeah. yeah
1: so it's, it's not like i was some you know intimidating like old like you know curmudgeon guy or something so we'll, anyway we'll, so I we'll, we'll,
0: we'll get to peter kessler later okay
1: <laughs> i i i didn't say that right. um but so anyway so i i I kind of explained to her like, you know, I got to ask these questions for a four year game that we're doing. And I remember her being super nice about it. She was like, Oh yeah, that's fine. And Patrick came out and he was, he was cordial. Like I probably talked to him for 20 minutes and it was one of those things that now looking back on it, it's, it's kind of crazy to to tell that story now after everything that's, that's happened. And I, I still tell people about that story because it was one of those things where when I thought there was no chance that Patrick Reed was going to do this and he actually did. And he couldn't have been nicer. Now, you know, after I left, he could have said like, great, that was a waste of time, but well, sure. you know, but I mean, he, he's, he did it and you know that I, I gained a lot of respect, you know, for him for that. And obviously you'll, you know, stuff that's happened recently uh you know it's kind of you know kind of jades that a little bit or you know kind of overshadows that but i still always remember that that moment when uh you know he he took the time to do something nice
0: yeah well it's it's funny that you bring up patrick reed and we we will seamlessly segue into just all that stuff i just want to i mean it's been talked about ad nauseum but i guess the thing that i'm curious about is you know this there's a little bit of a a dust-up between Barstool and the quote-unquote old-school golf media where, Mm -hmm. you know, Reed's caddy got into an altercation with a fan, and then it was reported back through Barstool. But then I guess Bob Herrig and Michael Collins and ESPN reported it, but they didn't give credit to Barstool. And just really, it seemed pretty, I don't know, the whole thing seemed kind of foolish to me because I was thinking to the point, like, first of all, who cares? Um, It's not on the golf course, it's just a caddy doing whatever. It's going to come out. He's going to release a statement anyway. And do we really need to get the inside scoop on a caddy's statement about an altercation? That was just my feeling on it. But I guess what I'm getting at is, how does social media and how does the instantaneous um, communication, how does that affect how you do your job now as opposed to when you started? Like, do you keep that in mind? Are you trying to get the scoop as much because it's it's kind of going to come out anyway
1: yeah it's one of those things where twitter and social media puts a puts a shot clock on some of that too yeah. you know before you know back in the day if you found out so if something like that happened people aren't finding out about it really until they unless it's never, on tv they may never
0: find out about it actually. Yeah,
1: well, well they might not find out about it but if it does come out you know at Royal, Royal Melbourne people back in the States aren't really going to hear about it until the next morning in, in the newspaper. Right Now there's a shot clock on everything. It's whoever can get something out, you know, the, the quickest. And so you, you have to keep that in mind is, is that it's almost, you're almost like racing other outlets to try to break news or to try to get, you know, the, the story. And it kind of makes people like, A little bit competitive and kind of cutthroat and like territorial and so you know that while as embarrassing as that whole dust up between new school and old school media is um you know it's not really surprising because you know barstool got the the quote from kessler yeah and you know there's you know there's a kind of a pride in that and And it's it's deserved because, you know, they they were able to make that connection and and got that. And now everyone, you know, you're we're expected to credit them at the same time. And I, I don't really know what all or the details for anything about that. But, you know, from the outside looking in, it seems as as if Barstool got the statement. Kessler obviously has a good relationship with Michael Collins. I mean, he was staying with him or hanging out with him at here the the week before. So my theory is Kessler also sent that same statement to Michael Collins, where then, you know, it's, it's ESPN statement as well. I mean, maybe they, they should have said first reported by Barstool, but anyways, not, not even considering that. I, I, I just thought the whole kind of back and forth was a little bit childish and in a way, I'm I'm kind of more on, on, on this on this new side now. I, I I think the guys at Barstool probably shouldn't have attacked Herrig as as bad as as, as they did. Right. But at the same time, in the last couple years, ever since like No Laying Up came on the scene, there's been this growing animosity between the the old school people the old school way of doing things and these new guys because they're bringing something different something fresh um you know this golf journalism isn't just you know like written word anymore it's it's it it's podcasts it's you know going out and playing golf and and having fun and like filming yourself doing it it's hanging out with players like it's you know telling stories in different ways so i think the old school and you know i i, I kind of came from that background too is like old schools used to their way of doing things and they kind of feel threatened a little bit by barstool by no laying up. but i think everyone has a place oh, yeah. um you know and and they just bring something different you know if if, if they want to if the pga tour gives them credentials and and they want to you know, fist bump Tiger Woods inside the ropes and Tiger Woods comes up and fist bumps them. Like, so what? Like, is that is that really like that bad of a thing? I mean, they're not claiming to be journalists anyways. They're just I mean, the, the most important thing is just bringing more people to the game.
0: Yeah.
1: And Barstool has a huge following. And no laying up has brought, you know, hundreds and thousands of people, you know, in into the golf world who may have never picked up a club in their life or watched a tournament in their life, And now there's interest like from different demographics. And so it's just kind of frustrating when you see, you know, people going at people who are basically all trying to accomplish the same thing.
0: Of course. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of agree. I think there's a place for both. I think it's uh, you know, I, I kind of look at, i mean for example like when i was at the walker cup i kind of felt that like i was on a little bit towing the line on both sides like i'm trying to write i'm trying to create uh you know video reports and 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 interviews but then i'm also kind of hanging with the players on both sides and talking to them and and just kind of you know shooting the shit telling stories and and you know i was on both sides and i kind of like being on both sides to be honest with you so i just thought about it recently is that that final day singles basically mirrored the final day singles of the president's cup yeah i mean they did they went eight and two and i think the u.s president's cup team went something similar to that so um you've been surrounded by the best and brightest uh you know amateurs for for several years longer than i have but you know we were around the best u.s players and the best I players how often do you actually come across a player at that level that gives you an immediate feeling of, Oh yeah. Yeah. He's going to be a thing on the next level, or she is, she's going to be on the LPGA tour pretty quickly. Do you, how often do you see that? And it's okay. Yeah, and it's okay to be wrong about it. I guess I'm just asking how many times do you kind of really pick that apart in the amateur level?
1: Yeah, I've definitely been, been wrong about it. plenty <laughs> of yeah. times, probably poor, probably more often than I've been. Right. But yeah, you know, I, I would say there's at least maybe two to three players, maybe even one to two, and obviously it fluctuates. Like the class of 2011 was obviously really good.
0: Sure,
1: um, you know this this most recent class of guys turning pro with Wolf Morikawa and Hovland, they're obviously really good. But there, there's always maybe two to th- three kids in each graduate class who. You, know, you, you just kind of know that as long as they don't get hurt, as long as everything else in their life, you know, kind of goes according to plan and gives them the opportunity to, to play, to play golf and not have to worry about much else. Um, you know, you, you know, that these guys are going to be good. Like being around Matt Wolf when he was playing junior events and playing Sage Valley and tournaments like that, you knew that he was going to be really good. Now, you knew Norman Zhang was going to be good. Now he hasn't done that yet. So right. as of now, I'm wrong on that, but there's still time. Sure. Um, and then going back to when I first started covering the game, like that going back to that first event that I covered watching Jordan Spieth play. He just had a feeling that he wasn't going to be at Texas for that long. Obviously later in that year, he, they ended up winning the national title. He left after that next fall semester and didn't really take him long to to win on the PGA tour. So there's, there's always, you know, one to two players, each, each class that you can see play a couple events and, and really know. And from, from me, not, not really having the technical golf background of, of some people, it's, it's definitely more difficult for me to kind of look at someone and say, wow, like there, that swing is going to last for 30 years and, all, all, all this stuff, you know, I, I like looking at John Rahm, everyone was saying he's good and yeah, he's playing well and the scores are good and he looks like he hits the ball pretty good. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't really know just by myself, like, wow, like he's he's great. Now, I've gotten a lot better at that being around the game for a decade. But. You know, at first, I, I, I really had no idea. But there was always kind of this like feeling that I got just talking to guys and, and how mature they were that right. early. Yeah, That seems to be the best indicator of, of guys. Cause, cause all, all these kids can play, you know, there's some, there's some players that have this God given like crazy talent, um, you know, early, like, but for the most part, all, all these kids can play and the ones that have kind of made an impact on me through the way they've done interviews and the way they've interacted with not only me, but like their peers, you just kind of know, like I, I, the first time that I met Maverick, uh, Maverick McNeely was in the parking lot at, at, uh, not martyrs camp at a golf club of New Hampshire, the 2012 U S junior. And he made it to the quarterfinals. And up to that point, no one really knew who this kid was. Cause he didn't play national H A G A events. Um, he wasn't highly ranked, but he just made a huge impact on me. And this is before I even knew like his background or anything sure. like that. And just how like professional he was, how mature he was. And I you know what eight years later, he's on the PGA tour. Uh, Doug Gim, another kid that really impressed me at a young age and his, his dad's, you know, you know, just a, a, a real kind of loving and supportive figure in his life and, you know, pretty, pretty funny guy too. But, uh but Doug was always someone who you could like go to and he would always have something thoughtful to say. Um, you know, he always looked at stuff pretty positively and you didn't really see him acting immature, like when the cameras weren't on or right. around his peers. So that's, that's kind of the thing that I look at now, you know, yeah, like once I know a kid shooting 63, 64, 65 and winning a bunch of tournaments, all right, now how does he act off the golf course or how does he act like with his playing competitors and that kind of tells you how good someone's going to be. That's that's kind of my theory. Yeah.
0: Course. Well, and it's interesting you bring up Doug Gim and his father, you know, they were uh, you know, they were in the um, you know the USAM final at uh, at Riv against uh, Doc Redmond. And I guess that kind of pivots me to the next question I have for you is, you know, it's kind of a continuation, but you're around all these young players, juniors, and their parents. Um, What are maybe some of the things that you've seen as far as, you know, the state of junior golf or maybe the culture around it that, you know, because a lot of the listeners of the podcast are parents and they have kids that are playing junior golf. They're not sure which direction to take them in, whether they should, you know, get an instructor early should they quit playing other sports and you know how do they make themselves viable to get a college scholarship maybe what are some of the things you see in that culture that could be better some of the like red flags you see you know like you mentioned Doug Gim and, and McNeely being very mature maybe what are some of the I mean any thoughts on where junior golf is right now the culture of it
1: you probably hear a lot of horror stories too and oh yeah and when when I first started and even now like you hear about parents getting in fights and parents being like super controlling and all this stuff but you know I I haven't really witnessed any of that you know there's there's been some some parents that have kind of you know rubbed me the wrong way or you know you've kind of seen some interactions with kids and their parents that you know weren't very pleasing to to witness but for the most part you know, the, the parents, you know, couldn't, you know, the, the parents that, that I've dealt with as a whole, I mean, they, they've, they've been awesome. And, um, you know, I mean, I guess advice to, to parents who have kids, you know, maybe just getting into high school and starting to really get serious about golf is kind of, you know, and I don't have kids yet, so it's kind of hard for me at 29 years old to, give advice to people who have kids but from what i've heard and seeing and and talking to the parents who have been through all that and, and, and have done it well and their kids have have gone on to have success um, kind of the keys are just to you know be be supportive but but be supportive through the you know the the tough times you know don't don't get mad at at your kid because you you spent all this money to travel to this tournament and they go in and, and shoot 81, 83. Right. Um, you know, I, you know, obviously if they're shooting 81, 83 for 15 tournaments in a row, maybe it's time to, to, to focus on another sport. But, um, but yeah, I mean, just, just to just be supportive and, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, all all these top players, their, their parents are and, you know, sadly, you know some of the ones over the years where their parents may have been too involved or not involved enough. You know, they've they've kind of kind of suffered as they've you know turned pro and gotten out on their own. So, well, you know, it, it's true. just it and, and it always just kind of comes down to you know how the how you know how the how the kid is. If he's a you know a, a independent kid, you know maybe you just roll the balls out there and and you know let them play. But yeah if he values family and spending time with family. I mean, a good example of a, a kid who family means a lot to is uh, Brad Dalkey Yeah, Brad uh, Dalkey yeah. I mean, his, you know, he, he has a great family, and, and his mom and his dad, uh, you know, f- for the most part, went in and watched him play, you know, pretty much every event. Now, when you get to college, they they kind of, you know, taper that down and, you know, watch some local events and you know, obviously went to NCAAs when they won that. But you know his brothers would would come and his his sisters would come and watch him and they caddy for him and it was just a good support system and and you know that was one of the families that really did it right you know now now Brad hasn't gone on to have success yet as a pro but he obviously was runner up at the at the USM at Oakland Hills in sixteen and got to play in the Masters and has really accomplished a lot in his golf career so. Now that's just you know, one of the families that I've come across where they've really, you know, impressed me by the way they've they've gone about being golf parents.
0: Yeah. You know, we're talking about Dolkey, we're talking about all these college kids and, and it's it's so baffling to me as far as like how much younger the game is getting. You know, of course the, the three you know, the I guess the Mount Rushmore of, of young stars right now is it's gonna be wiped away and changed obviously as, as years go by, but you know, Wolfmore and Hovland and then, you know, you see Akshay uh, Batia turning pro without going to college. You're probably going to see a lot more of that on the women's side. You know, girls just going straight to playing professionally. There's that whole conversation of the LPGA Q series that that you got into with uh, with Steve Burkowski on, on your, your podcast, College Golf Talk. The game is getting so much younger. I mean, I can't even believe that it's been five years since Cole Hammer played in the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay. <laughs> I mean, you
1: know, or or eight years since Bo Hosler played in the U.S. Open. At I mean,
0: there you Olympic. go. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, this makes it your job of covering college golf for Golf Channel. I would imagine a lot more exciting because, like, for example, like what are we more likely to see in 2020? A major champion under the age of 24, or a major champion over the age of 38?
1: I would probably say over 38 because okay. you know, I I put money on Tiger when in the Masters again but
0: well that's true I mean <laughs> but I mean if we but I guess what I'm getting at is I mean if you just take those numbers and look at them and uh, it's just you you it gives you pause where 10 15 years ago it doesn't Yeah
1: you know, it, exactly and what you, you said under the age of 24 so I yeah. guess I guess Rahm would be out cuz he's what 25 now
0: I mean, you can, um, you can go 25, you can go 26. I, I, I mean, it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter, but I mean, yeah. you're just, you're looking at it where these just young guys are coming up there and, you know, you're looking at college, you're, you're going to be at the NCAAs, you're going to be at the U.S. Amateur, you're going to be covering these guys. And just to think that in a year or two after that, there they are and w- winning tournaments.
1: Yeah. It, it's kind of crazy, right? Cause j- just, just a few years ago, I was at Sage Valley and uh, you know, playing. They, I, I, think they've since kind of revamped their kind of lighted uh, dormy course into like a par three. But back a few years ago, it it was two par fours and a par three, and and they're lit up. And when the players play that event, they they all stay in the cottages and they kind of venture out there and, and they're playing until 10, 30, 11 p.m. at night. And one of the nights, you know, just kind of getting done riding and walking out to my car and walking past some, you know, some of the players hitting shots in the par three. So I would kind of walk over there and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not very good. I, I like, I'm okay now, but back then I was pretty terrible. And I remember betting Matt Wolf five bucks that I could hit the green. So I take a club and I just like skull the crap out of this ball and it, it almost gets on the green, but you know, it was just a terrible shot. So the next night, same thing it actually hit a pretty good shot, but I kind of like wiped it and, and, and didn't get on the green. So, you know, lost 10 bucks and now three years later, you know, the the kids won a PGA tour event and he's, you know, signed a $10 million endorsement deals with Nike and Taylor made. And it's just kind of crazy to, to see how quickly, you know, like, like you said, like the the game is getting younger and younger and younger and it's not out of the realm of possibilities. I mean, I, I even think as far as like predictions for 2020, you know, it's, I mean, an amateur is probably not going to win a tour event this year, but I wouldn't, I would say in the next three years, we'll have an amateur win a PGA tour event again.
0: Yeah. I could easily see that. Especially since they're, they're getting these sponsors exemptions to kind of like their hometown tournaments yeah so they have the, the comfort they have they know the court they probably know the course better they have the the crowd support uh they're getting probably the best tee times you know you're gonna i mean you know a, a coal hammer at a, at a houston open um yeah you can go down the line so
1: so so going back you know this kind of triggered my my memory but you mentioned mount rushmore of golf and you put wolf Moore cow and hovland on it who's Who's the fourth guy you're putting on it?
0: The fourth guy, the fourth junior guy that I'm putting up there. Wow. Well, you know, I, I, you know, it's kind of hard for me to pick that that fourth person. How about, uh, how
1: about Neiman, Joaquin Neiman?
0: You know what? You're absolutely right. It's Neiman. You're absolutely yeah. right. I, I f- forgot about Joaquin Neiman. <laughs> it,
1: we 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 solved the puzzle. Now now we can move on. Now we can move on.
0: No, you're hundred percent. You're hundred percent right. It is Neiman. So, like, explain this one to me. Neiman Neiman does not go to college. You see a lot of these players leaving school early to enter a sports profession that has no guaranteed salary. Now, I do understand that they're going to get a signing bonus with with a a clothing deal or or a a club deal, but that's not for everyone. Um, I think one of the things that was really... Really surprising to me is that you, um, you and and Burkowski were talking about uh, Jennifer Cupchok's uh, endorsement deal that she got from I believe it was Callaway for I think thirty five thousand dollars. I think he reported that in the, in in the episode. So that's that's nothing. Yeah. That's not even that's not enough to even to get her uh, across the country for an entire season. So if you're not one of these top studs, shouldn't you just stay in school for four years, get your degree, and play a sport that you're probably not going to get hurt? playing
1: yeah no and and i i think that's the you know for for the most part the guys who leave school early have have the either the financial means or the financial support to to do so and going back going back to even not not being in college i mean if if you paid attention to 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 social media some people might lead you to believe that he went to the university of south florida of course we all know we we all know he didn't but uh but yeah, I mean, guys like Neiman, guys like Wolf, they they can afford to either not go to school or leave early. A guy like Akshay, because they have people paying paying them. I mean, they're they're signing, you know, they're signing deals with like with equipment companies that are going to pay them millions of dollars. Like Norman Zhang had six or seven million dollars from Callaway, so he could leave early. If you don't have that, you, it, I mean, I I think it'd be dumb to to leave. Yeah, and some people might might argue well what if you have status on a tour and for the most part if you're good enough to have status or a place to play um you're you're gonna have some sort of endorsement
0: deal but status means less and less i think until you actually get full-time status i mean thornberry and curtis thompson won the web q school this year mm-hmm. they're the only two guys that, that are fully exempt everyone else has you know Twelve events, eight events, ten events. I think I, it trickles down like that. But if you get off to a slow start and people pass you by and they reshuffle, you don't have status anymore.
1: Well, plus, I mean, life life on the Corn Ferry, right. And the Mackenzie Tours. I mean they're they're not making they're not making millions of dollars in prize money. Yeah, yeah they're they're you know there's these stories that we hear all the time of of, of these guys who finally make it to the PGA Tour and they finally you know, win or finish in the top five and get that big check. And and you hear about all the credit card debt that they racked up and, you know, all the, all all the times when they slept in their cars. And so it's, it's not a, it's not a glamorous life. And I think sometimes these kids who turn pro without the, the sponsorship ship money behind them, they, they, I don't, I don't think they really realize it. And it's so important to get your degree because I mean, look look at look at someone like Bobby Wyatt, uh, Yeah, Alabama. Yeah, you know, he, he, he was a he was he was a stud. I mean he, he was he was a stud as a junior, he was an all American, he won two national titles in college and he didn't do anything as a pro. I mean, even, even Corey Witsit, his teammate, like he didn't do anything and now Bobby Wyatt but he stayed all four years. And Corey stayed all four years and he got his degree and Bobby's now working you know, in, in real estate or finance or something and making a heck of a lot more money than he would be if he was on the McKenzie tour right now.
0: Well, so yeah. And, and you know, it's funny, you mentioned, you know, I talked to Patrick Kristovich, who, you know, phenomenal mid amateur in LA, you know, he um, played with Garrett Rank in the US four ball. Uh, he's won the, um, he's won the Coleman. I mean, just a phenomenal player. And he was talking to me about, like, yeah, there's these juniors there that are, or these amateurs that are playing college. They're like, yeah, we, we, we want that mid-AM life. You know, get that, yeah. get that day job and go play these, you know, hot shit tournaments like, you know, Pine Valley and Seminole. That's the life to, the, to play a, you know, play a mini tour event in Hattiesburg. Um, that doesn't sound fun.
1: Oh, yeah. No. I, and I, I think when, when Maverick was kind of, deciding what he wanted to do whether he was going to turn pro or stay amateur i think some people look at looked at that as like he's crazy like to not want to go pro like he's a he's a player of the year he won the haskins award like he won 11 times in college like the same as tiger woods like why wouldn't he want to go go pro and it's like you can do you can do so much more you know depending on what type of degree you get if you you get a real really good degree like if you get you know, a business degree from Cal or a business degree from Texas, like you could do a lot with, with that. And you, like you said, you could be a, a mid you could play in the mid amateur If you win that, you get to play in the masters. Like you can go play like Seminole and Cypress yeah. point and, and, and like all these like really like, like posh, like m- mid-am events and, you can still play the u.s amateur and it's and to me and i'm biased you know i'm sure you're biased too like we we love amateur golf so you know it's it's fun to to be a part of those tournaments so but i mean i i get it's it's these kids dreams like for forever when when the first time they pick up a club they want to be they want to play in majors and they want to be on the pj tour they want to you know, make make millions of dollars like Brooks Kepka and Tiger and like all these guys, but there's only a handful of guys who can do that. Yeah. I mean there's only four majors every year. And there's only, you know, how many how many PJ tour members are there right now? Like a hundred and and I mean, fifty or or so, you know, yeah. depending on all the you know, the millions of exemptions and things like that and categories and stuff. But that that's a really good job. And Do you think the people who have that job right now like want to lose that job? Like, no. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not that easy and there's no guarantee. I mean, look at a guy like Philip Francis who was unbeatable as a junior. I think a few years ago, Rory on, on a podcast that he did, it might've been like his no laying up podcast or something. They asked him who was the one player in junior golf who you struggle to beat and he's like philip francis and they're like who yeah and it's like philip francis was the top ranked junior he he won he, he won the u.s junior and now he's not not in golf and he's he's working in in bitcoin and he's doing a heck of a lot better I for guess. himself
0: i would imagine so
1: then than if he would be on pj tour latino america right now yeah so, there's just there's there's no guarantees and going back to the one or two guys every year who you know are going to be sure things. Sometimes those sure things like Jim Luke. Guy won a US junior, almost won two, was medalist at at at, at a couple US juniors, went to Stanford, was the top ranked recruit, and he's working at Bank of America now because he decided that he didn't want to chase he professional like, golf, yeah, golf yeah, anymore and that work. was the I talked to him a couple years ago and he had just started to get back into playing some, amateur, some amateur events. He played a couple, I think he may have played like the, the South beach and what's the other one down in South Florida Dixie. during the winter. Yeah. And, and he, and he played the Dixie he didn't play very well, but, um, but it was like one of those things like golf and amateur golf will always be there if you want to come back to it, but he made such a great decision just getting his degree from Stanford and he's doing a heck of a lot better for himself than if he would have tried to chase chase a dream that that might never come
0: you know? yeah well i mean when i talked to brandon and isaiah you know brandon and isaiah selinda from stanford they were like why would i why would we pick stanford if we weren't going to stay four years you know what a stanford yeah. degree is and i was like yeah you're 100 right so they never thought about possibly leaving early but we've meandered around the subject but i mean talking about college golf you know the national championships are at Greyhawk in arizona this year and for these college coaches to deal with these kids leaving early do you try and get the very best junior prospects and risk having them leave after two seasons and just kind of double down and hope you get your victory then or do you maybe go after players that aren't high up on the recruiting list and then build them into something so that they peak as juniors and seniors or are they even thinking that way?
1: In a way, it's it's not quite as severe as college basketball, right, where we exactly. have Kentucky and Duke basically reloading their entire roster every year. Right. Um, now, I, I I will say I think it I think it pays off to go after kind of these maybe not one and doneers. I think in college golf, it's more of like a two and done. Right. Like Stanford's
0: um, going to have Stanford with with uh, Phillips and and Baber Frankel and uh, Thorbornson that. I mean, shit, they're going to be incredible. Yeah, Jake
1: Jake, Jake will, will probably definitely stay four years. I, I think Michael will as well. I think, yeah, I wouldn't maybe put a lot of money on Carl staying all four years. But, yeah, yeah I mean, so the the two-and-done thing in college golf, it, it's, it's worked a lot more than I think the one-and-done thing in college basketball has. I mean, you look at the last, maybe obviously not last year with Stanford, but before that, Oklahoma State going after – Wolf, who only stayed two years. Hovland, they got three out of him, but he didn't stay all four.
0: They got lucky uh. with Hovland. I mean, I mean, how that whole recruiting thing happened, so...
1: Yeah, so, and in, in th- there's 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 rarely guys that, that lead that early. Alabama, you know, with Justin Thomas staying two years, they got a national championship and a national runner-up out of it. Texas got Jordan Spieth's one full year in college. They get a national title out of that. But then, at the same time, a team like Oklahoma, who... One with, you know, three players who ended up playing all four years and making match play all four years. Yeah. And a team like, like Stanford who had two stud seniors on their team and and they had another guy in and, and Maverick who's a player of the year who stayed all four years. So it, it, it it's kind of the same in every sport. Like it kind of works. It just depends on what what players you get. But, yeah, I, I mean, there's I don't think there's going to be – Well, I mean, I kind of say that now and watch. You know, a kid went to the USAM and someone throws ten million dollars at him and he he leaves. But even looking at this year's class, I mean, there's not really, there's not really anybody that I see that's not a senior going going early. And I I think Cole Hammer comes back. I I, I think the cooties come back. The only one who may leave is is Acro. And
0: well, Acro's a senior.
1: No, he's. Uh, He's a, he's a, he's a junior, right? Yeah. So he's, he's probably the only guy who I think, and, and because this year, this year's class is at least right now, you know, on, on the surface, not as good as, as last year's, which it it would be impossible for any class to be because Wolf and Morikawa have won tour events and Hovland's already on tour. And I think, but I I think at the same time, someone's going to throw money at, one of these underclassmen. I think Augenstein's obviously going to get a lot yep. because people are going to be so pressured into, we got to find the next Wolf. We got to find yep. the next Morikawa, the next Hovland. And so what's going to happen is someone's going to get Augenstein. And then the next person who misses out on him is going to be like, all right, so who's, who's the next guy, Kevin, you from Arizona state. All right. Oh wait, someone's already got him. All right. Who can we get to leave early? Like, Oh, Austin Eckrow he's pretty good. So, you know, I, I think there's going to be some decision making on, on that part. But, but again, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this purely as, you know, from the outside looking in, not involved right. or in the know in anything about stuff like this. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where as we, as we talk about the tour getting younger and younger and younger, there's going to be this constant pressure for these freshmen and sophomores to to turn pro because again people are looking for the next big thing so and and that's that what that's what makes something like cole hammer's process and the way his parents are handling all this and that i mean yeah cole has definitely thought about it and he'll in the next year he'll probably inquire and make preparations and kind of test the waters or look at all his options but at, at this point you know people are talking about him oh he's going to go pro this summer like at the houston open he said this he's like i haven't even thought about that i mean i'm a i'm a sophomore in college and this is my first pga tour event since i played the u.s open when i was 15 right so well <laughs> it's and, just and, like and you we're, we're the- trying to rush these kids into like all this stuff and we just don't like stop and you know we're trying to find the next big thing and we don't just stop to kind of slow down and be like let's just enjoy let's enjoy
0: college golf i mean i i I, i'm very excited to to be at the ncaa's i'm excited to be at the u.s amateur and let's enjoy these players and and see what they do on these stages and yeah i i mean you were in the press room when uh after the u.s team won at the walker cup and i think uh I think it was Hammer and John Pock that were the two that were definitely young enough or, 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 you know, they were the ones that basically said, yeah, there's no way we're going to pass up playing uh, a Walker Cup in the United States in a year and a half if we have the chance to. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, those those two guys would be phenomenal. Um, all right. So NCAA. So I want to talk about this. So you've covered this. You've covered the USAM. Actually, I want to talk about the USAM first. So the USAM is at Band of Dunes this year in 2020. And you know, I think maybe the golfing public might think of Bandon Dunes primarily as a bucket list, you know, destination golf resort. But it's covered numerous USGA championships. I mean, Curtis got a got, four ball there. Got a four ball. You know, it's the actually the first time the USGA did a men's and women's event at the same location was the 2011 Pub Links. Um, you know. University of Idaho is going to host the Banda Dunes Collegiate there in March, but maybe there's some players that have played there. But for the most part, everyone's going to be going into Banda Dunes with really no experience um, at that course. And then the golf course is obviously much different than what most players are used to. It's not a, you know, it's a Lynx course, it's not Parkland. Um, I'm just curious, how do you cover an event like that when? the players themselves it's probably hard to pick a favorite how do you how do you ramp up for something like that
1: well i mean first it's going to be hard to find a place to stay there right
0: well i'm staying at your place you got you got the the golf channel uh, uh, mansion on the <laughs> seven, on the seventh fairway right
1: i'm i'm, I'm buying a tent in uh in bend and okay and, and driving it down
0: you're gonna you're gonna rough it or gonna... I'll,
1: I'll stay I'll, I'll stay on the third hole at pack dunes
0: okay all right perfect <laughs> um i'm i'm more of a hampton inn kind of guy so i will uh, it'll probably
1: be kind of cold there though I, i'm right. looking at the the normal july or in, in in august the you know i'm looking at june july and august and obviously the u.s amber is playing august but the summer it doesn't get above 68 and the lows are in the 40s
0: right so now we're bringing weather into it so does that mean we look at any of these studs from like Arizona State, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma. Do we just say, okay, are do, are they? Do they have a, a shot? You know, what like, what do you like? How do you prepare to even cover something like that?
1: I don't really. It's it's such a large field. It's hard to like right. predict. That, of course, and and I I love doing predictions, but I'm always wrong. <laughs> and just just look at this past year. I mean, a Pinehurst, just like one of the classic courses. Like it, it's you know takes a lot of creativity to play like you know Donald Ross Greens I mean and, and a kid from from Mississippi and a kid from Kentucky made it to the final and and you had you know the the kid from who plays at Sam Houston State made it to the semis and you know there, there weren't a lot of big names and the US amateur always brings out you know some some surprises you know, there's yeah. always going to be, the one or two guys who you expect, I mean, I've, Augustine didn't have a very good summer, but once you saw him play and, you know, the in stroke play in the first couple of rounds of match play, you knew that he was probably the best player yeah. or one of the best players there. And a guy like Carl Phillips, who I think has a chance to be the number one ranked Amber in the world this summer, yep. or, you know, at some point this year, kid from Australia, hasn't been to Australia much in the, the past few years but still i mean that's you know you think australia you think uh you know we saw at the president's cup like royal right. Melbourne, like that's just a different kind of golf than what a lot of these amateurs are used to they're used to these you know soft you know kind of
0: yeah just just, you know, hit, just hit wedges boring yeah, just, golf courses yeah, just yeah, just yeah just, it it's wedge it. fest yeah, the
1: it's the u.s wedge fest so but yeah i mean i i think bandon is like like you said it's it's not it's not riviera it's not oakland hills um it's i, I think it's probably closer to pinehurst than it is those two and it's going to be cold um i i mean it's going to be pretty firm I, I i hope um
0: could be a time where a mid am actually makes a run at it for a long for for you know, yeah once in a in a very long time i mean you are talking about Pinehurst. You know, Andy Ogletree wins the damn thing. He top-tended at to the North-South, which is a tournament at Pinehurst just a few months before the USAM. He wins mm-hmm. the Monroe, and still, and he plays for Georgia Tech, and still he's relatively unknown. Now, if, you, if, if we're not on top of that guy who clearly was in form and played well at that course, yeah, we're not going to see. I mean, there's going to be farther unknowns coming at, at, at Bandon Dunes.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if you've played Bandon before. I, I've actually never, never I, been out it, there.
0: It will be my first trip out there. First time playing out there. And I think we should come to some sort of a match between you and I, and we'll, we'll negotiate strokes and all that. You'll have stuff. to give
1: me, you'll, you'll probably have to bring, you know, a, a couple, couple buckets of, of strokes for
0: me. Okay. We could do that. We could do that.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, I, So I I can't really say what type of player it's going to favor, not having been out there. Um, But I would imagine that it's not going to be all about length. So that's going to give a guy like uh, like John Park a a chance, and you know he obviously has a chance to to win any tournament he plays because he's so dang good with his long irons and you know pretty much everything. That it doesn't matter that he doesn't hit it as far as some of these other guys i would but, say, uh,
0: i would say any of the guys in the gb and i team that were at the walker cup that actually play stateside that are going to play in the usam that would they would be really interesting to look at too
1: yeah a, a guy like connor Gah yeah. from england uh ben schmidt ben jones so i think just recently played in arizona played at the uh, the, the patriot and uh and and played pretty well yeah. um so i mean yeah it, like, like I said, Carl Village, I think he has a very good chance because he, for the most part, I think knows how to play that that type of golf. Um, looking at a like a a, a Joe Pagden, uh, Ricky, C- Ricky
0: Castilio, Ricky yeah.
1: Castillo, who you know had one of the probably the better late summers of, of anybody. Um, you know, he's he's only going to be better. Pearson Cootie, I mean, and then you got to look at the studs like Cole Hammer, and, um, and I mean. I guess we kind of named all you
0: know yeah, all yuck. the studs, but well, they'll yeah so yes, I mean they'll yeah, so.
1: yeah, so, I mean, there will be more you know more players that kind of make themselves known throughout the summer and whether it's at the northeast or honor or western. So and uh, western's had a pretty good course this year too, uh, cricket stick.
0: Yeah, no, you're so you're 100%. Um, well. It's you know this summer is going to be the last summer before the next Walker Cup. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a lot of lot of yeah that's.
1: I I still don't know how how I feel like you know feel about that. Obviously, we can't have a September Walker Cup at Seminole, no. but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bit strange, I think. You know, it's gonna be even more strange as I think we both alluded to back in you know this this past Walker Cup. You know, thinking about that is it's gonna be tough on the GB and I because f- the, these Americans have the spring semester of college golf to kind of gauge you know all right so who's playing well like who deserves to be on the team most of these if not all of them i think there's like one event like the litham trophy or something that's before the walker cup you know all these gbni guys they're gonna have to go off tournaments that they play in
0: australia and south africa
1: during the winter yeah
0: no you're so yeah
1: that that that'll be kind of strange but you know i I guess it's the price you got to pay to get to play you know at at Seminole, which will be pretty sweet
0: yeah no, that will that will definitely be uh, interesting. Um, so, uh, before I let you go, I did we we talked about the we talked about the USA. I want to talk about the NCAA's at Greyhawk. So, the first okay, so Golf Channel f- first covered the men's in 2014, and then the women started in 2015. And <clears throat> my first recollection of watching college golf on Golf Channel was in 2015 when Stanford won, and I vividly remember. And I remember just like who is this crazy girl yelling her face? Mariah out? Stackhouse. Right. Well, Mariah was making the putt. So oh, you, Shan- but it was Shannon, Shannon O'Bear. Shannon O'Bear. I was like, what is going on? And that's when I first started getting into and watching college golf on TV. When did you first get drawn to it?
1: When I started at, at golfing in 2012, that was that would have been April or. April or May, and so obviously I didn't get to go cover that 2012 championship at Riv, which would have been a pretty cool one to to start with. I mean, with Texas playing Bama and 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 Spieth, you know, facing off against Justin Thomas in the final match, and I I vividly remember, you know, though college golf on tel- television back then wasn't what it is now. I, I remember watching the highlights and. And, you know, seeing Spieth hole out on, on the 15th hole and he won three and two, and then Dylan Fratelli uh, making, you know, the uh, winning putt and, you know, giving Texas their first national title. So, so, so that was kind of my first memory. But the first one I covered was 2013, and that was that crab apple in Georgia. And that was the year, I don't know if, if, I, I'm sure everyone can can remember the great season that Cal had. Yeah. This is when we were talking about Cal being the greatest team ever, yeah. and just I'm, I'm not even talking about of like the decade of like all time, yeah. like every decade. And they they ended up winning, I believe it was twelve times because that included the stroke play portion of NCAA's. Um, you know people people count that, which I mean I think. Heck, I mean, it's it's
0: basically yeah. a tournament. Yeah, it is.
1: And so, I mean, Cal was like this juggernaut team with Michael Kim and Homa and Brandon Hagee, Michael Weaver, uh, Joel Stalter, who is the fifth guy. And so I remember all the talk being about them and, and they, they dominated in stroke play and, and Homa won the individual title. And, but the, the thing I think I remember most there's two things. One was in the, uh, there was this freshman from Arizona state named John Rom, who mm-hmm. was just crazy good. I think he shot 63 in the first round or one of the early rounds. And he also had a, uh, a slow play penalty too. He was part of a group that, that had a slow play penalty. So I, so I remember that for some reason, I remember that was this, this was the first time that I had actually seen John Rom play. And he was just like, crazy good I talk about how oh, I can look at John Rahm and not really know like oh that's a good swing or not but like you just knew because everyone was talking about him and you finally see it and you're like whoa it's kind of like going to see a movie that everyone's talking about and it like lives up to, to expectations right and so that's one of the things the second thing is Alabama obviously won that year Justin Thomas after the season before where he loses in the national championship wins the Haskins award that year, wins the Phil Mickelson award as freshman of the year. He decides to come back and ends up winning a national title. And I remember Scott Strohmeyer, who was on that team actually ended up earning the clinching point. And Justin Thomas was in, maybe been like the 16th fairway or the 15th fairway or, or something. And he, he turned back and he kind of asked someone like, is, is it over? Cause he heard some, some cheers and, and someone said, yeah, it's over. And he just like dropped his bag and just started sprinting. And I was, and that's kind of been, you know, the, the kind of winning moment for all these teams is because they're so scattered about the course. Right. And, at, at, you know, as soon as they figure out, Oh, we've won, like they're all trying to find each other. And some people are over celebrating with some people. And then another guy's on a golf cart getting, you know, transported back to the clubhouse. Right. And so, I mean, just, Year after year. I mean, we we rarely get a year like Eugene in 2016 where everyone is around the green and the fans storm the green and and all that. It's normally pretty scattered. Like this year with Stanford being an early morning final because of weather, like that was kind of, you know, a little anticlimactic because – some of the Stanford guys weren't even there when they ended up winning. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of getting off again on another huge tangent, no, good, but yeah, I good. mean, first, first memory, 2013 crab apple, John Rahm, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Peters, uh, you know, Illinois upsetting cow Alabama, making it Justin Thomas, uh, you know, going out on top. So, you know, just uh you know, to, it's, I, I always tell people it's, it's my favorite tournament of the year. It's it's, it's kind of like the people who cover college golf, it's kind of like our, our, our Super Bowl. So it's right. – I mean, covering the Masters is pretty cool. You know, I've got to do that a couple of times. But if there's one event, if you had to tell me like, hey, you can only cover one event every year, it would be NCAAs
0: for okay. sure. Well – that's going to lead me into, well, I I want to ask you a few quick questions and get you out of here. Cause you've been, you've been awesome with your time. And I feel that we could just kind of geek out on amateur and college golf for another four hours. So we may have to get you back here and do it again sometime. <laughs> I, I, I
1: did a, I did a podcast a, a couple weeks ago. What, uh, what? With,
0: what, what, what you, you've done other podcasts than um, mine.
1: I'm sorry. I'm, what? I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry, but no, so I, I, I did a, a podcast with, uh, jeremy Schilling a, uh, a couple weeks ago and we basically recapped the entire year that was in amateur golf and it was like i think it ended up being like an hour and a half it was crazy like and we didn't even talk about everything
0: oh my gosh um all right so what is the best tournament spectator experience that the casual golf fan needs to put on their list besides of course you know the master's
1: I would say either the NCAA's or US Amateur. Basically, any major amateur event without ropes. So Walker Cup. Actually, probably probably Walker Cup because the the venues for the Walker Cup oh. are, are are crazy. Like if if you're a fan of golf, like make sure that you're buying tickets to either the Walker Cup at Seminole or the Walker
0: Cup at Cypress Point. And it isn't isn't Saint Andrews getting a Walker Cup too? It goes Seminole, Saint Andrews, old course. Yeah, yeah. Seminole, Saint Andrews, old course, and then Cypress Point.
1: Yep. So so that's that's the one event. I mean, I, I guess there are some rubs, but you know, it's 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 one of those intimate settings. It's not this huge major championship venue where the players are thirty yards away from you at at, at all times.
0: Yeah. And,
1: you know, it's just it's it's awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see golf channel on air talent that still has his amateur status. So you can't go with like a rhymer or, you know, uh, overholds or something like that, but golf channel on air talent that has the best game and talks, the best trash.
1: I say Ryan Labner probably talks the best trash. Okay. And the best player who I've played with at, at golf channel, who says their amateur status is probably, probably Labner. He's pretty good. He's probably like, like a two or a three, but he just can't putt. Okay. Um, but who I've heard—that—that's
0: that, a soundbite that I'm gonna make sure I tag him on Instagram. So <laughs> we, we
1: we played we we played Poppy Hills one or during or yeah during the US Amer in 2018, and we played a match against two other people, and they were they were making him putt like two footers. Oh but wow! He's, oh, it's that he's bad. sent, and I I I will say this: he he has sent learn how to putt he's he's way better at every aspect of the game than than i am including the mental aspect of it um so i can't really talk trash but yeah he's he's probably the best player i play with the best player who i've heard is really good is um andrew bradley who's uh who's a producer and
0: uh yeah a camera guy yeah i met andrew
1: yeah he was at the walker guy yeah he's he's really good
0: Wow. Okay.
1: I've I, I've heard he's a really good player. Okay.
0: On site, when you're when you're on site at what are the must haves that you have to have with you in your backpack and while you're walking around? What are the must haves for for you to cover? A laptop. Laptop. Okay.
1: Yeah. That, that's that's always my my biggest fear is covering. You know, for example, covering the Walker Cup in England, right? Eight hours away, or you know, however many hours it is, and forgetting my laptop.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, and like
1: there, there was one time where I was in high school and I was freelancing like, at like the state swim meet. And this was back when iPhones weren't even really out yet. And I had kind of like a smartphone, like one of those ones with the keyboards. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I, and I thought that I could write my story on that and I didn't need my laptop. And I ended up like in tears and my mom ended up driving like an hour and a half to bring me my laptop. Oh and my gosh. So so so, kudos mom and you know she still she still supports me quite a bit but yeah I mean laptops in essential I would say going old school like reporter r- reporter notebook um, definitely like a one of those portable cell phone battery chargers Yep. and probably sunscreen looking at some people who didn't take care of their skin 30 40 years ago like it kind of makes you want to want To take care of yourself,
0: yeah, yeah, you don't want to be too leathery when you're out there, uh, covering golf. <laughs> um, best chance to make a 2020 Ryder Cup team Wolf, Hovland, or Morikawa?
1: I think probably Hovland because he's yep. going to play some events in Europe and you know, they're not to diminish the quality of fields, but I think it's a lot easier to, to have a top 10 and get some points over in Europe than it is over here. Yep, um. Okay. You know, I I saw something on Twitter today where one of Morikawa's 2020 goals, he has like four, and like one of them is make the Olympics, which is going to be almost impossible considering how tough it is for an American to make the Olympic team, right? And make the 2020 Ryder Cup team, and you know, it, it's it's going to be tough for one of those guys to do that because you know it's not like they they have a head start or anything, right? You know, they're they're not on currently on the team,
0: yeah.
1: So I I, I would say probably...
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, Let's see. Have you ever seen Peter Quest from BYU and John Augenstein from Vanderbilt in the same place? And if not, are they the same person?
1: (laughs) I think Peter Quest hits it a little further, right?
0: Um, I've never seen Peter Quest hit the ball. I spoke to him recently, but I actually asked him. I said, you do know that you and John Augenstein look exactly alike. He's like, I've never heard that. I'm like, pull up a picture of her. And he's like, oh, shit, I see it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah,
1: I, I, I think Flash may may probably disagree with that more than anyone. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But yeah, they they do look pretty similar. So yeah, I mean, I, I haven't to to answer your question. No, I haven't seen them in the same place.
0: There you go. But it
1: it it, it wouldn't surprise me.
0: There you go, Brentley. We can go for hours and hours, but we're going to cut this one uh, at at this point. And you know, you you're hosting this podcast with the Murkowski on Golf Channel, the uh, the college golf talk and i know you got a lot of episodes leading up to the national championship i hope we can catch up before then before the u.s amateur uh but for a first run how was it how was the back of the range
1: i had high expectations coming in and you know it definitely surpassed it and excited to uh get back on the pod but i you know i I think there's probably uh a lot better better players a lot better golfers waiting in line and uh i'd be glad to you know kind of kind of seed some, uh, you know, some appearances
0: to them. Well, uh, we'll get you back in soon. Uh, uh, very humble, very humble, but we'll get you back in <laughs> soon. And I appreciate you uh, stopping by. Awesome. Thanks. And there you have it. Special thanks to Brentley Romine from Golf Channel for joining us this week. Don't forget, he teams up with Steve Berkowski for their podcast, College Golf Talk. It's in Apple podcast. It's also in the show notes of this episode. Make sure you go check that out. Follow this podcast, The Back of the Range, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll see you again next week for another episode here at The Back of the Range.